I invite you to stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's Word. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 35. Oppose my opponents, Lord. Fight those who fight me. Take your shields, large and small, and come to my aid. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers and assure me I am your deliverance. Let those who intend to take my life be disgraced and humiliated. Let those who plan to harm me be turned back and ashamed. Let them, like chafe in the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away, let the, their way be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. They hid their net for me without cause. They dug a pit for me without cause. They ruin come on him, let ruin come on him unexpectedly, and let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his ruin. Then I will rejoice in the Lord. I will delight in his deliverance. All my bones will say, Lord, who is like you, rescuing the poor from one too strong for him, the poor or the needy from who one who robs him. Malicious witnesses come forward. They question me about things I do not know. They repay me evil for good, making me desolate. Yet, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer was genuine. I went about mourning as if for my friend or my brother. I was bowed down with grief, like one mourning for a mother. But when I stumbled, they gathered in glee. They gathered against me. Assailants I did not know tore at me and did not stop. With godless mockery, they gnashed their teeth at me. Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue me from their ravages. Rescue my precious life from the young lions. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will exalt you among many people. Do not let my deceitful enemies rejoice over me. Do not let those who hate me without cause wink at me maliciously, for they do not speak in friendly ways, but contrive fraudulent schemes against those who live peacefully in the land. They open their mouths wide against me and say, Aha! Aha! We saw it! You saw it, Lord. Do not be silent. Lord, do not be far from me. Wake up and rise to my defense, to my cause. My God and my Lord, vindicate me, my Lord, in keeping with your righteousness, and do not let them rejoice over me. Do not let them say in their hearts, Aha! Just what we wanted. Do not let them say, We have swallowed him up. Let those who rejoice at my misfortune be disgraced and humiliated. Let those who exalt themselves over me be clothed with shame and reproach. Let those who want my vindication shout for joy and be glad. Let them continuously say, The Lord be exalted. He takes pleasure in his servant's well-being and my tongue will proclaim your righteousness, your praise all day long. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. 
Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you are new to First City, my name is Chris, and I serve as the lead pastor here. So, so thankful you're here with us this morning as we continue our series in so- the Psalms. Uh, each summer, we take a few weeks out of the summer to just kind of go through the Psalms chronologically, and this morning we are in Psalm 35, and as you heard Jesse so beautifully read for us, it's a pretty intense psalm. David is crying out in a lot of pain based on what is going on in his life. And so this morning, the title of my message is Vindication, Not Vengeance. My favorite novel of all time is The Count of Monte Cristo. And if you've read this novel, you know why it is my favorite. It should be everyone's favorite. It is that good. Uh, There was a movie that came out like in 2001 or so with Jim Caviezel. Hey, it's a great movie. They kind of changed some of the plot, but it it is a good movie. So if you haven't seen that movie, check it out. It's a great representation of the book. But this book is great for several reasons. Engaging characters, an incredible plot, thoughtful dialogue, and really a lot of philosophical and theological reflection for what is essentially a good revenge story. So if you're not familiar with the plot, the main character, Edmund Dantes, is this young, a little bit naive, but very noble young man who is wrongfully accused of treason and thrown into prison. And he is the victim of a plot of three men who were jealous. They they had these jealous motives towards him. They get this magistrate who is trying to climb the social ladder involved with them, and they get him thrown into prison. While in prison... Dantes loses everything. He loses his job. He loses his reputation. His father dies of starvation. His fiance marries one of the guys who was in on the plot to get him thrown into prison. You're like, ouch. While in prison, he meets this mysterious priest. And over the next eight years, this priest educates him in things like culture and history and languages and mathematics and medicine and science and chemistry. He also tells him of this mysterious and legendary treasure that he knows the location of. After 14 years, Dante, Dante, he escapes, finds the treasure, reinvents himself as the Count of Monte Cristo, and then with this expert education, skill of weapons, and limitless wealth and resources, enacts this elaborate plot to get revenge on those who destroyed his life. And the way he gets at those people, it's good. I'm not going to give it away the story, but it is good. It is worth the read. And I think we all can admit that we like a good revenge story. Revenge, in a lot of ways, is connected to justice, and we like to see the bad guys get what's coming to them, but there's also a sense in which we enjoy revenge stories because it connects with us, something internally, that angst and that anger that we experience when we've been hurt by others. We know the pain, and and sometimes we don't know what to do with it, and so we'll go to these revenge stories. It's almost this catharsis that we get to kind of just experience those emotions in a safe environment. We look at those stories and go, man, I wish I was Dantes and I had limitless resources and a really keen mind to know how to get revenge against those who have hurt me. But here's the challenge. Even even if you you, you haven't had this experience where someone has like destroyed your life and and even if you you aren't necessarily acting out revenge really in real life, here's the challenge. Even at the level of feeling and even at the level of desire, God's word makes it very clear. We don't have a green light for vengeance. Romans 12, 19 tells us, do not avenge yourselves. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. 
And this is where Psalm 35 leads us. In the midst of all those hurts that we experience and that pain and those, those, those times where we want to retaliate and lash out in revenge, Psalm 35 holds out something different for us, a different response. And here's the main point for us. Here's what Psalm 35 points us to ultimately this morning, is that followers of Jesus, God's people, we cry for vindication rather than claw for vengeance. And so let's, let's look into Psalm 35, see what this means, to cry for vindication rather than claw for vengeance. Well, Psalm 35 is what is known as an imprecatory psalm, meaning it's a psalm that calls for God's judgment down on enemies. David says in verses 1, 4, and 8, Oppose my opponents, Lord, fight those who fight me. Let those who intend to take my life be disgraced and humiliated. Let ruin come on him unexpectedly. Like, listen, David isn't messing around. David is crying out intensely. He wants the Lord to bring judgment and shame and humiliation and defeat on his enemies. Why is David so fired up? Why is he crying out with such intensity? Because there's a very real hurt and sin that he is experiencing. Verse 7 says this, They hid their net for me without cause. They dug a pit for me without cause. There were those who were attacking and troubling David for no reason. They had no reason. He had done nothing to them, and yet here they were attacking him. There was an unprovoked and unjust attack. Also, there is betrayal. Listen to what David says in verses 11 through 16. Malicious witnesses come forward. They question me about things I do not know. They repay me evil for good, making me desolate. Yet when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer was genuine. I went about mourning as if for my friend or brother. I was bowed down with grief like one mourning for a mother. But when I stumbled... They gathered in glee. They gathered against me with godless mockery. They gnashed their teeth at me. So there were those that David loved. He loved them so much that when they were suffering, he prayed for them. He put sackcloth and ashes. This was a sign when you're in great mourning, and he would do that for them when they were suffering. This is a, a, an expression of deep solidarity and care for someone. And David said, when these people were sick, when they were suffering, when they were hurting, nothing but love, nothing but concern, nothing but care and service for them. And how do they repay me? Evil. They mock me. They lie about me. When I mess up and I stumble and I sin and I fail, they laugh at me. They rub it in my face. David showed nothing but love and concern. And then he, in return, got the business end of mockery. Deep, deep betrayal. And on top of this, David says they're deceitful. They would contrive fraudulent schemes. They were trying to create these lies about David to bring him down. And not only against David, but as he says in verse 20, against all those who live peacefully in the land, those who were good and righteous, this crew was coming at them with lies and deceits and schemes in order to bring them down. Attacked without cause, lied about, having his mistakes thrown in his face, betrayal from those that he had loved. Can you relate to David's pain? Have you ever experienced that kind of hurt? Can you understand why David is crying out with such intensity? 
And again, maybe you haven't experienced it to the extent David did, but can you relate to being accused without reason? Can you relate to being lied about? Have you ever been betrayed by someone who you have loved deeply? Have you ever had your mistakes and your failures and your sins thrown in your face in a cruel way? When that happened, how did you respond? How did you respond? When when you've experienced the hurt and pain of those that have sinned against you, how did you respond? Did you retaliate in anger? Lash out? Give them as good as they were given to you? Or, or maybe you're a little bit more subtle, and so you like to play kind of the manipulation game, subtle little slights and passive-aggressive little moves here and there to kind of get back at them when they don't even know. Or maybe it's all just internal, and so you, you sit around and you think about all the ways you're going to get back at them. Maybe you're never going to act on it, but boy, you, you just kind of play these scenarios in your mind of all the things you'd love to do if you just had the resources or just had the guts, or if, if they do it one more time, here's what I'm going to do. And so it's all internal, but you're ruminating over and over and over and over again about how you want to get back at them. Ever experienced that? Ever those, experienced those desires? When you're hurt, do you like to lash out in retaliation? Or maybe you respond a bit differently. Maybe rather than the retaliation and the anger, you shrink back in fear. If, if, if I can share a story at the risk of being kind of vulnerable here this morning. About four years ago, I had the, the painful experience of, of being slandered, of, of having myself and, and others in leadership at First City being slandered by, by some folks who left the church. And, and, and that's always a really hard and disorienting thing to experience, especially when, when there was good relationship and, and when you had a conversation, the last conversation with this couple was like, hey, everything's fine. There's no, nothing wrong. We're just, we just want to find a different church. And so we're like, okay, everything's great. Cool. Okay. Be blessed. Be filled. And yet, shortly thereafter, you hear they're saying some pretty significant things. You're like, wow, okay. Didn't know where that was coming from. But, but accusations of being abusive and being controlling and and you're wondering, where did that come from? And those of you that were part of those situations, I mean, I'm so glad, grateful for, for First City, and we you know, try to respond with open arms and open ears, but at the same time not giving place to lies and accusation. But if I can be honest with you, here's what it did to me internally. It threw me. It threw me. Like the last thing in the world that I want to be is an abusive pastor. Like I experienced some pretty deep church abuse in high school and the last thing in the world that I want to do is be that kind of pastor. And the last thing in the world that I want is First City Church to be a place that is controlling and spiritually abusive. I want people to thrive here, to, be, to know Jesus, to, to, to grow in their walk with Jesus. And so when you hear those accusations, when I heard those accusations, it threw me. I'm like, did I do something? Was I abusive? Did I control? Was there ways in which what they're saying is true? So listen, friends, if you have a sensitive conscience or if you are in any way prone to being a people pleaser like I am, when people say things like that about you, you'll listen to them. Because you know you're not perfect. You know you mess up. And so when someone throws something at you, you're like, well, well maybe that is true of me. And it will mess with you. Do, do you respond when people throw accusations and lies about you and slanders and mockery at you? Does, does it start to throw you? Does it start to mess with you? 
we can live our lives in such a way where we're, we're so afraid of being thought of as this thing, we do everything that we can in our power to not be seen that way, and then when someone says we're that way, it throws us. And so here's what happened. It started affecting the way I led. Like, like as a pastor, I have to have hard conversations. Like, listen, there's hard conversations to be had. You, 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 my, my call is to bring the gospel, proclaim the gospel, make disciples, speak the truth of God into your lives, walk alongside you, and sometimes that means I have to push on sin. Sometimes it means I have to challenge you. And yet I found myself being reluctant to challenge and push in ways I needed to do because I didn't want to be called abusive. I didn't want to do anything that could come across as being abusive. I also found myself being reluctant to make certain decisions because I didn't want to be called controlling. And so when accusation comes, when lies come, when the mockery comes, it's so easy for us to run away in fear and say, you know what, I'm just going to back away. I don't want to be viewed this way. And so you know what, peace out. Is that your response? Fear. Because listen, friends, whether it's retaliation and anger or whether it's fear and withdrawing, both of those responses miss the mark because neither of those responses is a response of faith. Neither of those responses is depending and trusting on God. It's a self-protective, self-reliant, self-centered response. David does something different. David models for us something different. Rather than retaliating in anger, rather than retreating in fear, David cries out. And what does David want God to do? Well, there's two layers of the imagery in Psalm 35 here. One is legal. The language and the poetic imagery he uses is legal. The other is military. When David says, oppose my opponents, the word oppose in the Hebrew is a legal term. It's the idea of standing before a judge and pleading your case. David is saying, God, be my defense attorney. Be the one who pleads my case and oppose those who are making accusations against me. The other layer of imagery he uses is military. Fight those who fight against me. Take up your shield, your spear, and javelin. He also speaks of the angel of the Lord pursuing and driving away enemies. We saw this last week that the angel of the Lord is a particular manifestation of God's presence. And when the angel of the Lord shows up, usually it is to show up to fight for God's people. And so he is wanting God, fight my enemies, drive them away, defeat them. And so there's a legal sense, defend me against the accusations, but there's also the military sense, God, fight for me, defeat my enemies, overthrow them, drive them away, show them to be shameful and humiliated. God, David is asking God to be his defense, to be his help, to be his warrior. And so these two, these two terms or these two images this legal defense and military victory, these two things taken together capture the fullness of David's desire expressed in verse 24. Vindicate me, Lord, my God, in keeping with your righteousness. Vindicate me. Make it abundantly clear to everyone I'm in the right. And those who harm me are in the wrong. And not only that, not only show me to be right, but defeat the evil, defeat the enemies, defeat those 
who accuse me and lie about me and betray me and plot evil and wicked and deceitful schemes to overthrow me. Defeat them, humiliate them, shame them, drive them out, make them fail. Vindicate me, Lord. David is pleading with God to vindicate him. He's pleading with God. And in pleading with God, David is crying out for vindication. He's not calling for vengeance. And and this is good and right. Because listen, vindication will always, always be better than vengeance. Because vindication is rooted in something greater. Notice what David says. Vindicate me, Lord, my God, in keeping with your righteousness. You see, crying for vindication is God-dependence, not self-reliance. Crying for vindication is the desire to uphold righteousness and truth and goodness. Crying for vindication is the belief that God will always deal with sin and evil and hurt correctly and perfectly. And here's really one of the reasons why vindication is better than vengeance. Because listen, as much as you and I may justify our vengeance, as much as, I, as much as you and I may believe we have a right to retaliate and to lash out, and boy, doesn't it feel good to do so, we will never, ever bring true justice with our vengeance. You and I, we are going to either underpunish or overpunish. On top of that, vengeance is this desire to relieve ourselves from emotional turmoil and angst. Vindication is about upholding righteousness. So vindication is always better than vengeance because vindication holds up what is true. Because listen, friends, when we give ourselves over to vengeance, when we give ourselves, whether it is acting on it or whether it's ruminating on it over and over and over again, when we are consumed with relieving sort of that emotional angst on our own, what happens? Our hearts become more and more shaped in anger, more and more shaped in self-reliance. And if you should act on vengeance, what happens? There's a, there's a sort of a temporary emotional relief But does that solve the problem? Does it end there? No, it creates a cycle. More and more and more. All you're doing is putting out more anger and more evil and more mockery and more pain into the world. And it's going to shape you and it's going to form you and it's going to turn you into a person consumed with anger, consumed with retaliation, consumed with sort of self-protection and self-righteousness Vindication is always better than vengeance. Because when we cry for vindication, we look to something bigger than ourselves. When we cry to vindica- for vindication, we want to acknowledge that upholding righteousness and depending upon the Lord and standing in faith and hope, those are always better. When we cry for vindication, the effect of our heart is what? Dependence, humility, faith, hope, trust. When we cry for vindication, we are saying, Lord, do what only you can do. And we're going to trust that you will deal with evil perfectly. We trust that you will bring righteousness and judgment and justice to the hurt and the wrong. And friends, this this is our hope, is that this is what God does. Yes, evil runs rampant in our world. There is plenty of evil. There's plenty of pain. There's plenty of hurt and lies and mockery and deceits and evil schemes. 
But even now, even now, we see that the Lord is not indifferent to that. Over and over and over again, we see those who plot and scheme and lie and mock and betray being exposed, being brought down, being undermined. Their very plots and their very evil, they sort of sink underneath it. They fall in their own traps. I mean, look at the mess of our culture. Look at the mess of government. Look at the mess of entertainment. I mean, just anything in our culture, you just see this playing out. God is not indifferent to the evil. The evil plans of men, he is turning against them and they're bringing themselves down. And yes, sometimes people get away with things, but they won't forever. No one gets away with anything forever. There will be a day God will bring ultimate justice and judgment to evil. When we cry for vindication, we're setting our hope on that, setting our faith in that, our belief in that. And so we cry for vindication because vindication is better than vengeance. Also consider this. If we go the route of vengeance, the lies and the accusation and the mockery often don't even get addressed. They get kind of put in the background. It becomes about... me trying to relieve the angst that you've caused me, and so I'm going to inflict pain on you because you inflicted pain on me. But the lies and the deception, they don't get addressed. But crying out for vindication, because it's rooted in righteousness, what we say is it is better to be right than it is to get even. It's better to stand in righteousness and have the Lord defend us and be in the place of righteousness and goodness rather than getting even. And if we trust the Lord for vindication, if we trust the Lord to defend us, if we trust that in the end, who we truly are and the rightness of our cause will come out and the Lord will show that to be true, if that is our trust, what does that do? It gives us confidence in the Lord. It gives us confidence in the Lord. Crying for vindication builds our confidence and casts out fear. If I trust in the vindication of the Lord and I'm not consumed with retaliation, I'm not consumed with defending myself and having to perform to prove that I'm not something that people think that I am. If I trust the Lord to defend my character, guess what I'm free to do? Love people. Serve people. Go into this world and fight for what is good. Care about what's going on in the world and not fear that I'm going to get accused of things that aren't true. It empowers me to live my life. It empowers me to live for what is actually worth living for. And so when we cry for vindication rather than vengeance, our hearts are compelled and encouraged to go and do what is good. And so friends, when you're hurt... Are you crying for vindication or are you clawing for vengeance? When you experience lies and accusation and betrayal, do you have confidence in the Lord and his vindication or are you holding back in fear? How do you respond to the pain? How do you respond to the wounds and the hurt and the sin against you? Here's something we we have to be honest about and come to grips with. In and of ourselves, in and of ourselves, we will always fall into the cycle of hurt, sin, anger, 
retaliation, vengeance, and fear. Like in and of ourselves, we will always be on that cycle. Why is that? Because in and of ourselves, our hearts, we're selfish. We're self-reliant. We're self-protective. In and of ourselves, our hearts doubt God's goodness and his power and authority. We doubt that God will actually care for us. We doubt that God will actually vindicate us and defeat evil. We doubt that, or we, we view self as more important than righteousness, and so we'll take matters into our own hands because it's about us relieving the angst inside ourselves. In and of ourselves, we will always fall into this cycle. But here's what's more. Here's what's more. In and of ourselves, we are guilty of this. We are guilty of sinning against God and sinning against others. Listen, we ourselves have been those who have lied about others. We ourselves are those who have mocked others and thrown their mistakes in their faces. We have been those who have betrayed others, betrayed those who have loved us. We have been guilty of fraudulent schemes and trying to work for the undermining and hurt of other people. Like, listen, we don't just experience the problem, we're part of the problem. In and of ourselves, when we stand before God, the verdict is guilty, worthy of judgment. The the verdict is not vindicated. No, in and of ourselves, when we stand before God, we're in need of vindication. We stand guilty. We stand powerless. We stand in this endless, bottomless cycle of anger, hurt, pain, vengeance, retaliation, and fear. I mean, look at the mess we make. Look at the pain we can cause. But friends, we're not without hope. As dark as it can be, as painful as it can be, we're not without hope. And Psalm 35 beautifully points us to where the vindication that we need may be found. David writes in verse 19, Do not let my deceitful enemies rejoice over me, Do not let those who hate me without cause wink at me maliciously. Yes, David, he was hated without cause. But also recognize David was not 100% innocent. David ever guilty of a fraudulent, malicious plot against someone else? Yeah. And it resulted in a guy getting killed because David slept with his wife. David was guilty of the very things that he was asking the Lord to defend him of. David was not 100% innocent in these matters. However, the good news for you and I is there is one who was hated without cause, but was 100% not guilty, 100% innocent, guilty of no sin and no crime. In John 15, verses 18 through 25, Jesus tells his disciples of the persecution they're going to face because of him. The world hated me, They persecuted me. They're going to hate you and persecute you. And here's what Jesus tells them in verses 24 and 25 of John 15. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father, but this happened so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. Like Jesus quotes Psalm 35, 19 and says, I am the fulfillment of this. I am the one that has truly and fully been hated for no reason. 
See, Jesus perfectly walked in righteousness, perfectly obeyed God, perfectly walked in truth, perfectly loved and served and sacrificed for people. And how did the world treat him? Falsely accused him, lied about him, mocked him. His best, one of his best friends betrayed him. Lying, malicious, deceitful plots against him. And in one of the greatest, if not the greatest, ironies of history, the person who was 100% innocent was nailed to a Roman cross as a shameful criminal. And how did Jesus respond to all of that? Did he retaliate? Did he lash out? No. He didn't even call the army of angels. He had every right to call down on those who were persecuting him. Instead, Jesus did something else. This is what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2. When he suffered, meaning Jesus, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. In the face of accusation, in the face of insult, in the face of suffering and betrayal and mockery, Jesus didn't retaliate, but he entrusted himself to God who judges justly. He said, God will be my vindication. And he entrusted himself And what was the result? Yes, Jesus was killed. But what did that accomplish? What did Jesus' death accomplish? As Peter goes on to say in verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Entrusting himself to God, Jesus willingly endured insults and mockery, and lies, and betrayal, and ultimately death. Why? For our salvation. So that you and I could experience forgiveness. Jesus bore our sins on his body, meaning he took the judgment that our sins deserve, that all the lies, and the accusations, and the betrayals, and the mockery, and malicious deceit that we have inflicted on other people, all the ways that we have been fearful and not have trusted God, Jesus took all of that on himself. He took the judgment you and I deserved on himself so that you and I could be forgiven. All of our sins wiped clean so that we could be set free. Why, as Peter says, to live and walk in righteousness. And here's the beauty. If you are in Christ, you've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, Scripture says. It's as if you wear it. Jesus' very righteousness has been given to you, meaning when you stand before God, you don't stand before God as a guilty sinner. You stand before God, get this, vindicated. You stand before God in the right. You stand before God as if you had never sinned. You stand before God as one who is loved and accepted and welcomed into the family. And all of that, not because of our righteousness, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has accomplished. Friends, our vindication is because Christ himself was vindicated. Listen, Jesus willingly endured mockery and lies and betrayal and death and accusation, all of that, yes, and he entrusted himself to God who judges justly, entrusted himself that he would be vindicated. And was he vindicated? Yes. The answer is a rhetorical question. Yes. <laughs> How do we know? He got out of the grave. He got out of the grave. 
In raising Jesus from the dead, God declared to the world, this is the truly righteous one. He truly is the son of God. He truly is the savior. He truly is the king. And so in his death and resurrection, here's what Jesus did. He silenced all the accusations. He closed the mouth of lying tongues. He he rendered betrayal powerless. He brought all of their deceitful schemes to nothing. And as Colossians 2 tells us, he put to open shame and humiliation all the evil rulers, powers, and authorities that opposed him. Listen, friends, in his resurrection, Jesus was vindicated and Jesus defeated the accusations. Jesus defeated the evil. He defeated the lies. He went to war against sin and evil and even death, and he won. And this is the good news of the gospel for you and I, that through faith in Christ, we stand in the vindication and the victory that Jesus accomplished. And so listen, yes, yes, the pain, the accusations, the lies, the mockery, the betrayal, all of that, like it's real, it's real, it hurts, it happens. And listen, we make a mess of things so often, do we not? Our anger, our, our desire of retaliation, our fear, like we, we make a mess. But through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we always have hope. There is so much hope for us. Because when we stand vindicated in Christ, here, here's, here's what, what's so great. One, we can be honest when we sin. Like when we sin, we can confess, we can repent. Why? Because there's every grace and provision for us. We don't have to pretend, we don't have to hide, we don't have to, we don't have to perform. We can just confess and experience the grace of God and forgiveness. That's so freeing. That's so freeing. Second, when we are accused falsely, when we are lied about, when we are mocked, when we are betrayed, we can stand firm in the Lord knowing that we stand before him as righteous. We can stand before the Lord in confidence knowing our standing before him is sure. Listen, what lie, what accusation, what mockery, what betrayal could ever stand before the resurrected and reigning king who, who shed his own blood to save you, who washed you clean and gave him his righteousness? Listen, before the king of kings, every lie about you is silenced. Every mockery against you is rendered powerless. Every betrayal against you is undone. Those that would hurt you, those that would oppose you, those that would lie about you, those that would seek your undoing. Before Christ, they are shamed, humiliated, defeated, and sent away. Friends, we stand before God righteous and vindicated, and that standing cannot be taken away. This being true, why would we ever retaliate? Why would we ever need to retaliate? And what is more? We stand in the hope that Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, the enemies of evil and sin and death that he defeated will be overthrown forever. And, and, and here's what also what scripture teaches, that the righteousness that you and I have, a righteousness that the world can't see, a righteousness that we even struggle to understand, that righteousness, when Jesus comes back, will be revealed. The glorious righteousness that we stand in will be revealed. 
our final and full vindication will be declared to the entirety of existence. These are my people, and they're in the right. Friends, that's the vindication we have in Christ. That's the vindication we cry out for. So when you experience the pain, cry out. Cry out in faith. Stand in the finished work of Christ. Fix your eyes on the hope that you have in Jesus and let that hope shape your heart. And in that hope, in that hope, church, be confident and not fearful. Listen, I I don't say this flippantly because again, I, I understand that there's deep hurt in this room. Like I understand for a lot of you, some of the walls that you've put up, like they are understandable. And yes, we need time to heal, and sometimes we have to create relational boundaries. Like, all of that stuff is good. But here's what I want you to know. By the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you don't have to be handcuffed by fear. Like, like I'm not going to promise you that you won't be hurt again. Because, listen, when you give yourself to loving others to serving others, to sacrificing for others, when you give yourself to proclaiming the gospel and making disciples, when you give yourself to fighting for what is good in this world, here's what you can expect. You're going to get hurt. It's going to happen. But here's what I also know. It's worth it. Like It's worth it. It's always worth it to be in relationship with people. It's always worth it to love and to serve. It's always worth it to give yourself that the gospel will be proclaimed and that others may know Christ. It's always worth it to helping other people grow and thrive in Jesus. It's always worth it fighting for what is true and good and beautiful in this world. It is always worth it. Here's what's more. Here's what Psalm 35 also points us to. There is an incredible experience of joy when you experience the rescue and vindication of the Lord. Here's what David writes in verses 9 and 10. Then I will rejoice in the Lord. I will delight in his deliverance. All my bones will say, Lord, who is like you? Rescuing the poor from one too strong for him, the poor or the needy from the one who robs him. Like there's this incredible joy to say, I have experienced the Lord's vindication. I have experienced his rescue. But friends, we'll never experience that joy unless we're willing to risk being hurt unless we're willing to put ourselves in those places where we actually have to experience these things. And so listen, I'm not saying we run around going, hurt me, hurt me, hurt me, so I can experience joy. Like we're not, we're we're not doing that. But we have confidence in the Lord. And that confidence compels us to step in even when it hurts, even when it is hard, even when it might mean we get accused and lied about and betrayed because we know that the Lord fights for us. The Lord does and will vindicate us. And the Lord is at work in our lives. At the end of the novel, or towards the end of the novel, Dantes recognizes that the damage his plan is causing on himself and others, and he repents, and he changes course. And in that, he comes to embrace a profound piece of wisdom, and he shares this in a farewell letter to one of the characters in the story that he helped. He writes this, live then and be happy, and never forget that until the day God deigns to reveal the future to man, the sum of all human wisdom will be contained in these two words, wait and hope.
wait and hope. Friends, as we face hurts and lies and betrayal, how much better to live life and live life waiting, trusting in the Lord, putting our hope in him, putting our hope in his power now and our hope in Christ's return, being confident in God's goodness and power for us, waiting, hoping over retaliation and fear. But friends, that only comes when we cry for vindication rather than claw for vengeance. Amen. Let's pray. Father, so much pain, so much to stir in us desires to retaliate, so much can cause us to shrink back in fear, so many ways in which accusations and mockery and lies, betrayals flood our lives in big ways and small. And so we just acknowledge, Father, our need. We acknowledge our need for vindication. We acknowledge our need for your comfort. We acknowledge our need for your grace. And so would you draw us near this morning? Would you draw us near so that we can confess the ways in which we have not handled the hurt and the pain the way Psalm 35 calls us to? We've been people of vengeance and fear. So would you minister your grace to us even now this morning?